Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. All right, well, open up appropriately, I think, to the book of Acts as we look at the early church. So uh, the title of this message or the, the topic is evangelism in the Christian life. It's kind of loud. Turn that down. And so we're going to look at the Acts verses, uh, chapter 1, just at verses 6 through 8. You know, in, in life, there's things that we come across, things that we do, things that interest us, that we like to share with other people, isn't there? Whether it's a, maybe a new diet, uh, a new activity, a new app on your phone, um, maybe even an investment tip. Whatever it is that gets you excited in your life, there's no doubt that you have this desire to share it with other people. Right? It's something that you found that maybe is so compelling or helpful or fun or exciting. And it's just natural that you want to share it with your friends, uh, with your family. And maybe even sometimes you get a little crazy and just share it with neighbors or people you don't even know. You, know, you want to tell them something that excites you. Um, but why don't we do this with our faith? It's a little different, right, when we're talking about our faith. I mean, we're all here this morning because we've chosen, by the grace of God, to live this Christian life, to follow God. And why don't we share it as much as we probably would all admit that we should? What is it that keeps us from sharing this great message that brings us here, that gives us hope, that gives us peace with other people? No doubt we probably feel, as I do at times, unqualified. Like, who am I to talk to somebody about this? I don't know enough of the Bible. I'm a brand new Christian. Or I'm not the perfect person. You know, I'm a hypocrite. How can I talk to somebody? Or maybe you think, you know, I'm, I'm just afraid of conflict. You know, because I knew as soon as I bring this up, you know, I'm going to start World War III with this person. Right? We're told, you know, two things not to talk about in public, right? Politics and religion, right? Because it can literally has started wars throughout world history. And we don't want to start a war, whether it's in our family, at work, or even out in the marketplace, as I prayed earlier. And maybe sometimes we don't share it because we don't even really believe this stuff. Maybe you're hearing this this morning, Hopefully you're not here this morning going, I don't even really believe this stuff. I'm just here because, you know, whatever the, the reason. And maybe that's why you don't share it. Because you don't really believe it, right? You're only going to share what you're really convicted about. And you believe. Maybe, you know what? Sometimes you're like, I just, I just worry about myself. I don't really, and this might sound me, I don't care about other people and where they are. They have their own religion. I have my own religion. And that's good enough. But you know what? Jesus didn't say don't go out and talk about politics or religion. Jesus actually commands his followers to go out and talk about, you know, quote unquote, religion. He's commanded us to do that. 
I jokingly said to somebody the other day, I don't like small talk. Let's talk politics and religion. Let's get real, right? I don't, don't tell them about the weather or what you did last night. You know, let's talk about something meaningful. I want to talk politics and religion with people, which is probably why I don't have very many friends. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> You're like, no, there's other reasons why you don't have But let's look at what Jesus said to his disciples and see what we can learn about that, about talking religion, right? The title of this, or the topic is evangelism, and evangelism is a fancy word for, uh, well, not a fancy word, it comes from the word, it means good news, right? To share the good news. When you think of evangelism, you might think of Billy Graham, right? Standing in front of a, a thousands of people, you know, back in the day, or even modern times, you might think of Greg Laurie, who goes to packs out stadiums and proclaims the gospel. That's one form of evangelism. There's many forms, and, and most of us, or all of us, I would venture, would not ever stand in front of an entire audience like that and do that, nor would we want to. It would terrify us, wouldn't it? Some of you would not even want to be up here and change places with me doing this in the morning. I, I get that. But honestly, that's not the most effective way of evangelism. I venture if I asked each and every one of you how you became a believer, not many of us would say I was converted at an outdoor crusade, as great as they are. Most of us are converted by the friendships that we've developed and talking to people, just being invited to church. Right? And some of us from a very young age, like I've always, been, I just remember being a believer from you know, from my parents. I don't ever remember a time where I wasn't a believer. But let's, let's look at what Jesus said to the apostles and see what we can learn about evangelism. And I promise you, it's not as scary as you might be thinking. So in the book of Acts here, this is before Jesus ascends to heaven. He's resurrected from the dead. And he's about to leave and uh, go to heaven to be with the Father. And... He's going to leave the disciples with a mission. And it's really about what they need to be focusing on until his return. Well, let's look at the text. So as I said, verse 6, it says this. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of God? So here the disciples, they were ready uh, for their nation to experience all the prophecies that have been foretold at the coming of the Messiah. He's going to come. He's going to establish God's kingdom. And Israel's going to be restored. They're going to have prosperity, peace, and power. And so they were looking forward to that. Hey, Christ has come, the Messiah, which is what Christ means. It means the Messiah is here. Is now going to be the time where we're finally restored. We're going to have prosperity and peace and even power. It's something that people want today, right? Who doesn't want peace and prosperity? All of us, all of humanity is seeking for that in some sense. And so here the disciples are saying, is this the time? Is this it? And what does Jesus tell them in verse 7? He says to them, it is not for you to know times or, or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. So it's, that's not the focus right now. He's letting them know, 
I want you to do something else. Don't focus on that. My return and my establishment of the kingdom should not be the focus or the primary focus of the church, especially for the early disciples. But what does he want them to do? Look at what he says in verse 8. But you, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Jesus was saying, you know what? Let's not focus on the prosperity and peace that's going to come. Let's focus on getting more people into that kingdom that's coming. Jesus wasn't denying that these things were going to happen. But he was saying, you know what? Our focus as believers and you as the early disciples should be something else. And so what is that? What is the focus of believers as we look at this in disciples while they're here on earth? What do we do in the meantime until the Lord returns? Because the Lord is returning and we are going to have peace and prosperity and be ruled by the power of Christ for all eternity. That is going to come. But not yet. In the meantime, we are supposed to be about something else. It's what we do on a daily basis. And so he tells them in verse 8, which applies to us now, is that we are called to be witnesses for the Lord. That's that's what God wants the church to be doing. So if you're, what is my mission in life? What is our purpose? It should be our purpose as a church is to be witnesses for the Lord. That's our purpose as a church. We come here on Sunday to grow, to learn how to be witnesses for the Lord, and then we leave this place to be witnesses for the Lord. What is a witness? Well, a witness, as you may or may not know, is someone who testifies about what they've seen. Just like in the court of law, you get witnesses to testify to what they saw, what they believe. And we as believers, we testify to the gospel, the good news of the Lord's salvation, right, that Jesus saves, and that the Lord's coming salvation and his eternal rule. I think a great example of, of, of a witness are the words found in uh, 1 John. You can turn there with me or if you'd like or listen. At the very beginning of his first letter, this is what the Apostle John writes. He says this. He says, what was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which is from the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen, what we and heard, we proclaim to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. That's a great example of a testament, of a witness. He's saying what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have touched, we're writing these things to you so that your joy may be complete. That's the good news. It's like, hey, we've seen this. We're witnesses of this. And this is what we're sharing with you. 
This is what Jesus is telling his disciples to do. You guys are witnesses of me. I want you to go out and be witnesses. So how do we witness? There's, there's two ways that we're going to talk about in a few moments. And I just want to bring them up now. Is that we witness with our lifestyle. Right? We witness with the way that we live, our behavior. And we witness with our words. We witness with our words. And we'll talk about that. And as I already mentioned, what are we witnesses of? Right? What are we to tell people when we go out into the world or as we live? What, what is the message that we have? What is no different than what the early disciples had? It's the good news of Jesus. It's the very same thing that brought you and I to salvation. This should be what we're sharing with other people. And it's quite simple. It's that Jesus died for our sins so that we might be right with God for all eternity. That's, the, that's pretty much the gospel. It's, again, I'll say it. Jesus died for our sins so that we would be right with God for all eternity. Right? Jesus came to make us righteous. And we've talked about that, about being sanctified uh, a few weeks ago. Pastor John taught on that. Right? When Jesus came and made us right with God, he caused us to be forgiven of our sins. We'll no longer suffer judgment for our sins. We are made perfect with Christ because of his death for our sins. And now we have peace with God. That very thing that people search for is only found in Christ. Right? Our entire world is searching for peace in some way. Right? They, it comes in different forms and different shapes and different words. But all everybody would say they want peace. Right? Peace among the nations. Peace among different ethnicities. Peace among governments. Everybody is searching for that peace. But true peace is only found with God first. And so Jesus died for our sins that we might be right with God for all eternity. That's the good news. But not only that, there's also something else which we talk about. It's that Jesus rose from the dead, right? This is good news too, because he didn't just die, he rose from the dead so that we would live with God for all eternity. That coming kingdom Right? This is not all there is. If this is all that there was, then the Apostle Paul rightly says, then we should all eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's no purpose in even being here if Christ did not rise from the dead. Right? When Christ rose from the dead, he defeated death. And so that means, guess what? We will one day experience eternal peace and eternal prosperity. We look forward to that day when we don't have to worry about death or sickness or disease anymore. Everything that we are trying to eradicate in our world will one day be gone. And we will be reunited with those who have fallen asleep in the Lord as well. It's the, again, the, the great reunion to meet our loved ones once again. Do you truly believe those things? I mean, who, after their loved one doesn't die, want to see them again? And there is no promise of that outside of Christ. If your loved one died in Christ, the only way that you'll see them again is if you die in Christ. That's a great hope. That's why we rejoice and we don't grieve like other people over death. 
Because you know what? One day we're going to see them again. So that's good news. That's, I guarantee you people want to know that. How many times do you know somebody who's been at a funeral and they're, and they're not a believer and they're just like, you know, my mom and dad, I'm going to see them again. They're watching over me. They're saying all these things to console themselves, but they have no evidence of it. They're just trying to make themselves feel better. The reason we can have confidence that we'll see our loved ones again is because Christ rose from the dead. He defeated death. No other world religious leader has conquered death. You will find them all in the grave. Only Jesus Christ's grave was found empty. And we've talked about that before. I think a couple years ago, we did a whole series on that. So anyways, that's another topic for evidence on the resurrection. So we're witness of this good news. We are to be witnesses of this good news and tell people about it. So not only do we tell them that, but there's also another part of this message. It's not just that, but they need to repent. Right? They have to repent of their sins and believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's actually done these things. So you have to believe all these things that are, that are taught, as I'm teaching them this morning, to be saved. The message in the book of Acts, if you continued to reading the, the book of Acts, covers those very things. They always said, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. For example, in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 38, this is what the apostle Peter said. Uh, after, or after, his, excuse me, after his sermon, this is what the people said to him. So he was telling them who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. This is what it says. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, this is what he says, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, you need to repent. That's a message that's not always given. right? It's just believe. People say, yeah, I believe, but have you repented of your sins against God? In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, so this is what you need to do to be saved, you're confessing Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Part of the gospel is believing in the resurrection if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, then you don't have the gospel of Christ. You can't just, I, yeah, I believe that God exists. Yeah, but do you believe that Jesus is God? And do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? That is when you will be saved. So these are the things that the witnesses were supposed to testify of, that Christ came, died for our sins. He rose from the grave and to believe on that, you must repent of your sins. That's a simple message, right? But if you were just to go out and tell that to somebody out there, how would that be received? There's a lot of, a lot of things that will be said back to you, but that's what we need to tell people. Now, I'm not saying, hey, we're going to go on the street corner and just hold up signs and just say that, because honestly, I don't think that's very effective, but people feel called to do that, Right? Depends what you write on that board. A lot of times people put some hateful things on there that aren't very attractive and winsome. Jesus never stood on the street corner 
and says, God hates so-and-so. You'll never see that in the gospel. You won't see that. The only time I, I can think of when God said he hated something, it was usually about the religious people, right? I hate your songs because they're hypocritical. I hate your worship assemblies because they're hypocritical. It wasn't the world outside. They didn't know better. It's those in the church or in the, at that time in the temple that were to know better. So we're called to be witnesses to the Lord of these things. These are the things, if you believe them, right? if you truly believe that you know, you're going to heaven, that your sins are forgiven, that's what we should be sharing to, with other people. And I know it's not that easy, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. And there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of hesitation, and a lot of people will combat that. But that's been going since the early apostles, and it's never going to stop. So that's just part of being a believer, right? Persecution, trials, people not believing you, people calling you names, people not liking you. Suck it up. That's what being a Christian is, to be honest with you. If you want to be liked, then you shouldn't be at church, at least not this church. You want to be, Jesus said, beware of when the world considers you a friend. That's not what it's about. It's about being a witness for Christ. So, how do we do that? Well, we have the power and the ability to be witnesses for the Lord. Remember what Jesus said to the apostles. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This same Holy Spirit that was with the disciples is with you and me this morning. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives within each and every one of us who is believers this morning. God's Holy Spirit will empower us to be witnesses. Right? Over and over again in Scripture, we read that the Holy Spirit filled this person or that person as they testified about the Lord, as they did a miracle. God fills his, God's Spirit lives in us and empowers us to do these things. We're told in John chapter 14, 26 that God will help us to remember what he has said. The Holy Spirit will, Jesus said to his disciples, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Some of you could probably testify to times where you were talking to people about the Lord and you felt like God's Spirit was bringing things to your mind to say to them bringing you scriptures that you did not even think you knew to share with people or saying the right thing at the right time. That is the Spirit of God helping you to remember. Not only that, He also helps us to actually speak. In Luke 12, verses 11 through 12, it says that Jesus says this, speaking of, to the disciples, He says, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, don't worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense. Or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So don't think, well, I don't have all the right words to say. And I don't really know what to say to people. God will empower you to do it if you're faithful. Just do it. Just go out there and do it. Trust the Lord. You have the Spirit of God. Again, the same Spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. Each and every one of us. Right? It's not us. It's the Spirit of God that is powerful. 
We are just like the conduit that God uses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, the Apostle Paul continues on this topic about the Holy Spirit helping to speak through you. He says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in, the, in those taught by the Spirit, com- combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. It's the Holy Spirit that will help us to remember these things. We just need to go out there and do it. Trust God. We're called to be witnesses to just go out there and do it. So who do we talk to? Well, Jesus told the disciples in, in, first, or in Acts Verse 8, chapter 1, he says, my, You're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is the city that they were in, in all Judea, the region, and Samaria, which was up north, and even to the remotest part of the earth. They weren't supposed to just keep it to themselves. They were to go out into all the world and speak. Which is like us. We're not to just say, well, I'm saved, and that's all that matters. I don't care. I hope this isn't our attitude. We don't care about anybody else. No, we should have a great burden to go out and share it with more people. Start with the people that are close to you and then move out. You never know. God may give you that desire, that burden one day to be a missionary. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be one, but some people desire to do that. And they actually go out to the remotest parts of the world and speak to people about the Lord. We don't need to do that. We have a mission filled within our own families. How many of our own family members aren't believers? How many of our co-workers aren't believers? How many people that we meet on a daily basis aren't believers? Pray that God would give you that burden to talk to them, to speak to them. I like what, um, I'm going to read to you a little selection from this book, a pastor and theologian from the 17th century named Richard Baxter. He said this about, having that burden about sharing. He says, we have greater work to do here than merely securing our own salvation. So it isn't just about us, right? We are members of the world and church, and we must labor to do good to many. He says, I like this part, we are trusted with our master's talents for his service. In our place to do our best to propagate his truth and grace and church and to bring home souls and honor his cause and edify, edify his flock and further the salvation of many as we can. Richard Baxter had it right. He said, we're, we're not here just for ourselves. God has given us talents and abilities, and we talked about this the other day, in serving one another, to go out and to take God's word to other people, to bring them into the kingdom. Again, think of your own life. Somebody was praying for you and I. Somebody was being a witness to you and me. And that's why we're here today. right? Because somebody didn't just keep it to themselves. They, they were a witness. Whether it was your parents, a family member, a relative, or maybe you know some people just listening to the radio heard a preacher teaching one day. But somebody was probably praying for you. Somebody was being a witness to you somehow. So, 
How do we do all that, right? So, okay, we, know, we get it, Robert. We're to be witnesses. We have this power. We have this gospel. But how do we go out and do it? And that's really been, I hope you get, got over the past two months, the messages of the Christian life. You know, we talk about all these things, but how do we go out and put them into practice, right? Whether it's giving or serving or fasting or praying, all the things that we've talked about over the past, I think, 10 weeks or so. So how do we... How are we to be witnesses in this world that we live in now? Well, I'll give you uh, four points to remember. So I'll say them, all four of them at one time, and then we'll cover them individually. Practice, pray, prepare, and preach. This is how we do it. Practice, pray, prepare, and preach. And this applies to each and every one of us. The first one, practice. What do I mean by that? I mean live out the Christian life. The thing that we've, we've been talking about. This is the, the greatest example that we can give to the world. Is actually living out what we say we believe. Over and over again, you'll see in Scripture, and I'll read you a few verses about, people, about the apostles saying, live this way because people are watching. Live this way so that you might lead somebody to Christ. Peter in 1 Peter 2, verse 12 says this. He says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. This means live the Christian life, right? So that, why? Why should you live out the Christian life or, or have your, excellent, your behavior excellent? He says, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. He says, even though people might slander you, they can't help but notice that you're living right. And maybe that will be an example to somebody. And they say, you know what, despite, I don't like what that person says all the time, you know, maybe that will lead them to the Lord eventually because they saw your witness, your testimony. You weren't hypocritical. It was your lifestyle that brought them to Christ. It wasn't just the words that you spoke. Practice is so important. Here's one in speaking about a believing wife and an unbelieving husband. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, meaning if your husband is an unbeliever, he says they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. It wasn't that the wife was saying, you need to go to church, you need to trust the Lord, you need to believe. No, she was a great witness by her behavior and the husband was won over without a word. That goes for all of us, not just husbands and wives relationship, right? People in our workplaces are watching us all the time. And how many times do we mess up our witness because of the things that we say or do, right? They have an, they have, they're like, you're such a hypocrite. Why should I go to church when you live like that? And we ruin our own, test, our own words with our testimony. We're not perfect. doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. But, I mean, let's not give people proof of that. You know what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, when I've read the, I've, I think I said this a couple weeks ago. But the, the main reason for the rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire, according to, the, I'm going to read this section to you of another book. Uh, it's called The Rise of Christianity. I've shared this with you a number of times. He's a, a sociologist, and he did a study. He wanted to know, why did Christianity rise 
just so, why did it explode in the Roman Empire when it should have been, it should have been crushed? Why did it explode? Why did it become so powerful? And this was his conclusion. He says this, Christianity did not grow because of miracle working in the marketplaces. They said, it wasn't that there were great miracles that caused it to explode. He says, although there, there may have been much of that going on, he says, or, meaning why it did not grow, because Constantine, the Roman Emperor Constantine, he says, or because Constantine said it should, or even because the martyrs gave it such credibility. So he's saying, just because the Roman Emperor said, okay, Christianity's legal, you could be, you know, we're going to stop the persecutions, that that made it grow. He says, no, it wasn't that. And it wasn't even that Christians were willing to die for their faith on a consistent basis. He says it's this. He says, let me find it again. He says, he says, and the primary means of its growth was, so this is it. This is the key, ready? The primary means of its growth was through the united and motivated efforts of the growing number of Christian believers who invited their friends, relatives, and neighbors to share the good news. Hear that again? It was the believers. They just invited their friends and their neighbors to join in what they're part of. Like saying, hey, you should come to our house, which was the church that day, and, and see what we do or follow Christ like us. That's what made it explode. The the individual efforts of a group of believers just inviting their friends, telling them about the Lord. That's what caused it to explode. There weren't mass crusades in the early centuries. There were crusades later, but those were different types of crusades, not the crusades that we're talking about now. But it was practice. It was just Christians living their life and invited their friends to join them in the life that they lived. And that's what, caused people, that's what caused the church to grow. So how do we witness to the world around us? Number one, we practice. Basically, live the Christian life. Live it well. Glorify God in all that you do. And who knows what God will do through our individual lives as a church. The second one is to pray. This cannot go without being mentioned. Pray for yourself, right? Pray that the Lord gives you a burden, right, to share the gospel with other people. Pray for opportunities, right? Pray, Lord, help me to share with somebody. I promise you that if you do that, watch out. The the opportunities are going to explode in your life. So pray for yourself, pray for opportunities, and pray for the salvation of others. You know, maybe it's not even going to be you that's used in somebody's life that you know. You know, I would pray all the time for my family members, Lord, send somebody to them to speak to them because maybe they won't listen to me. And maybe you're going to be that witness for somebody that's praying for their family member that, hey, send somebody to them and that's going to be you. Pray for the salvation of other people. So practice, pray, and prepare. Right? There's an aspect of the Christian life where we have to prepare to be witnesses. How do we do that? Well, we study the scriptures. It comes, we've talked about that over and over. We have to study the scriptures. Uh, let me share two verses with you. The first one is in, they're both going to be in first, in first or second Timothy. 
So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Now here Paul is talking to a pastor, but it applies to each and every one of us as well. He says this, 1 Timothy 4. He says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourishing on the words of faith, meaning studying scriptures, and of sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, right? Discipline yourself. He says, for, God, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things. Right? He's saying, hey, it's good to take care of your body, but you know what? Your body's going to deteriorate. It only profits a little bit, as you should focus more on your, out, your spiritual man than your physical man. That's why I don't work out that often, because it like, doesn't profit that much. I'm not lifting weights. But godliness profits for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. But he says, For it is this we labor and strive, right? They're, they're studying scripture. Because we have affixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Then he tells the pastor, he goes, Preach or prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. And he goes on to say, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterances with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. And then I like this. He says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Preserve in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Here's an example. He's like, be ready, man. Study the scriptures so that you can be a great witness, to those, not just to yourself, but to those around you. Study the scriptures. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Do you know what you believe and do you know why you believe it? Study scriptures. Turn to 2 Timothy quickly, chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Here the Apostle Paul again urging Timothy. He says, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God. This is about the, you know, teaches to the church. He says, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of hearers. And this is the point. He says, but be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. It's an exhortation to know God's word. Study God's word so that you can be a witness to people out there. If you don't study God's word, you're not going to have those words to share. Right? You're not going to know what you believe and why you believe it. You're going to say, well, you said the Holy Spirit will help me remember. 
Well, you have to study it first, and he'll help you remember it. I mean, I wish we could learn through osmosis, and you could just hold the Bible, and it would just go into you. No, you have to study it. You have to read it. Study scriptures. And I would also encourage you to study apologetics. You know, Apollo what? Apologetics. Right? That's learning to defend what you believe. Defend your beliefs. You know, when somebody comes to you and says, how do, I know, how do you know Jesus lived? How do you know uh, the Bible's true? What's wrong with Islam? Why can't you be a Jehovah Witness? Do you, do you have an answer for those things? And maybe that's what scares you in sharing your faith because I don't know what to say to those things. Well, that's okay. Go out and learn it. I remember as, an early, as a young believer and I would share my faith a lot more than I do now and I would get stumped all the time. But you know what I would do? I would go learn. Okay, there's an answer for that. I don't know why that, that's, you know, an answer to that question. Well, go and find out. Give people an answer for what you believe. That's what 1 Peter 3.15 says this. He says, but sanctify Jesus Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks, to give you an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That's probably the greatest reason why I started buying books, not just because I'm psychotic about it, but because I wanted to learn how to defend my faith. I wanted to answer people when they would ask me those hard questions about the resurrection, about God, about pain, about evil. So I would get books and read about it and learn about it, or now we got YouTube. There's all kinds of things that you could get into and learn because they're going to ask you those things. And again, you don't have to learn it all before you go out and be a witness. If somebody stumps you, just say, you know what, I'm going to find out and come back and give them an answer. Come back and give them an answer. You have to prepare. How are you a witness in this world? Practice, prayer, um, prepare, and then finally, you know what? You actually have to say something. You have to preach. And basically, I'm not saying you have to stand up in front of people, but you need to tell others about the Lord. You need to tell others what the Lord has done for you. And that's the most powerful thing because nobody can say that didn't happen in your life. You know, this is what the Lord has done for me. And that's the witness that we have. And so I'm going to conclude with this. I'm going to uh, challenge each and every one of you uh, over the next few weeks. We have a great opportunity to just invite people to church, right? We have Easter service coming. As Jared mentioned, it's going to be at a park. It's not going to be in a church, so they don't have to say, well, I'm going to get struck by lightning if I walk into a church. No, they can just go sit outside in a chair and listen, and to, the, listen to the gospel proclaimed. And I want to encourage you guys to pray about who to invite and do that. Here's an example of taking and putting into practice what you've just learned about being a witness. And, you know, we have, we've have these little cards in, in the back, and they say, you're invited. I would encourage you to take a few of these and, and hand, at least hand one out between now and Easter and invite somebody out. Now, this has our church address, but so remind them that it's actually going to be, it's probably going to be at Citrus Park where we had our our uh, anniversary celebration a couple years ago. And invite them. Hey, come to church on Easter. It's going to be outside. It's real casual. Bring your lounge, you know, a chair and a blanket. We'll have coffee and, you know, donuts or whatever. It's real non-confrontational. But even just inviting somebody church, somebody to church opens up a door to a conversation. 
right? You, they, you might say, hey, do you go to church? No, hey, why not? And then you have an opportunity to talk to them about the Lord. It's, it's that simple. It's, it might, might seem scary, but it's not. It, I promise you it's not. If you're a shy person, I'm sure it could be uh, intimidating, but you know, there was no, not to be mean or anything, but there's no out clause in the Bible. It says, well, if you're shy, you don't have to do that. Jesus says, you're to be my witnesses, right? You're to be my witnesses somehow, some way. Just, again, live it out. Live, again, that was the great practice, your Christian faith in front of people. And who knows what the Lord can do through our small church here in this community. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much. Uh, for this time that we've had to be in your word. Thank you even more so for the salvation that you've given to each and every one of those who calls upon your name. And I pray this morning, Lord, for our church, for each and every one of us, that we would uh, take this challenge this morning to be witnesses in this world, in this world that we live, and that we would share your word, share your love, share your message with somebody in our lives or maybe even a stranger. Uh, give us that boldness to do that, Lord God. Help us to remember to practice our faith, to pray, to prepare, and to preach. And Lord, even as I mentioned, that we would take a few of these, in the invitation cards, and, and hand them out to somebody in sincerity, and invite them out to, our, to church or to our Easter service. And who knows what you will do, Lord. May we do this in faith, trusting you. And help us not only to be a witness over these next few weeks, but for the rest of our lives until you come and establish your kingdom where we will experience true peace and prosperity and your power. We pray this now in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us, or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.